0: I'm Danny Belvin.
1: And I'm Dameka Brown.
0: And we're biracial unicorns.
1: And whoever thinks nature is helpless has never had seasonal allergies.
0: (sighs) I'm so jealous of those people.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What is that? I don't have that. I mean, not even a tenth of how bad a lot of people have it. It is debilitating because I know you have them really bad. My husband has them really bad. You are a whole... Another person from like I don't know the first day of March until things die in
0: fall. Yeah, yeah. it's genetic too. I've heard <gasps> what? Yeah, my whole family on my my maternal grandfather's side, like all of us are just like a mess <laughs> with allergies. <laughs> uh, it's terrible. Oh no! But I did, Damiqa. I it has yet to arrive but I did purchase a salt pipe. What, what? did you? Did we
1: have that on recording or was that us we talking don't. off air?
0: No, oh. we talked off air. Can you explain to the people what a salt pipe is? So it doesn't sound like I'm like smoking crack or something.
1: Especially because you just said, D'Amika told me to get a salt pipe. <laughs> <laughs> like anyone who like knows me or sees me, like they're like, she told her to get a salt pipe? Um, Actually, I have to give a huge shout out to my beautiful friend, Glinda, who lives in England, who is a lovely woman. It's this device where you literally put salt at the bottom of it and you inhale, it's like an inhaler for salt. It's not the whole salt. It's just having that air come through it and it's supposed to help break up mucus. It's supposed to be really good for you. Some people put um, iodine in it just to kill everything. If you get colds, if you have, uh, like I said, allergies, if you have an infection, I always get like a uh, bronchial infections and things of that nature. And I used that and actually I found it to be quite helpful and I used it on my daughter as well who got really... Really sick before lockdown. And between that and I got her nebulizer, like that was great. So I hope it works.
0: Yeah. I mean, like I I told you when we had this conversation about (laughs) it, I'm like, I will try anything. You know, I've done I've done all the things. I've done the honey. I've done the like region specific allergy tinctures. I've done Mm. I take several types of allergy medicine daily. Yeah, it's Allergies are no joke.
1: All right, if we think Danny needs to try acupuncture next, just <laughs> let us know. Just comment to the show and like poke Danny. <laughs> maybe not. Let's maybe. let's maybe not hashtag poke Danny. <laughs> oh my goodness! I that's that is pretty pretty terrible. If anyone has any other suggestions, let us know. But as terrible as seasonal allergies are. Do you know what's more ridiculous and prolific and terrible? COVID.
0: I <laughs> <laughs> just like that,
1: D'Amica Segway. Just,
0: no, just, I know, I know, I know. Institutional racism. <laughs> Yay!
1: <laughs> it's like that one kid in religious class been like, and what's the answer, children? Jesus! <laughs> it's like that one kid. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we're laughing. We, uh, the more we laugh, I've realized we laugh the most when the topic is as is difficult. So if we're starting off pretty high, prepare yourselves cuz we're about to go low. We are switching gears and continuing on with our toolkit talking about PWIs, predominantly white institutions. Thank you, Vanna. <laughs> <laughs> um it's yeah, we're but we're switching gears. So last Full episode, we talked about academic PWIs, and mm. this week, we are now around the water cooler. We're talking about professional PWIs.
0: Yes, yes. So, not everyone works for a a PWI, but I feel like you're hard-pressed to not find somebody who, who has... Has not had the experience of working in a PWI, and because, as we mentioned in last episode, the thing about the US is it's still predominantly white. Uh There is like the increase in like minority global majority folk are going to eventually overtake and and be the majority. But I think the country itself is is built on white supremacy, which we've talked a lot about. Um, So it's Uh hard to escape those traits, those Uh. core ideologies when we're talking about any facet of American life. So it's not surprising that it is so strong in the institutions in which we work.
1: Exactly. And I think what some people can argue when we're talking about PWIs is the numbers itself, mm. right? But what we're seeing here in predominantly white is actually just that of having a workplace kind of emulate the, the population. And what we're going to be seeing is that even though over 12% of the 13% of specifically black communities that are in the workforce, we're still seeing disproportionate numbers within higher educations, higher paying jobs, higher amounts of uh management and CEOs, ownerships. And so it's, it's always like, I like to always use the example of professional sports where some people can argue that's predominantly people of color, like for football, for instance. But if you think about who actually are owning those teams and actually have that, you will see the disproportion between that. So we're not saying people of color, they don't got jobs. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. We're saying this disproportion of like, where we have jobs, how far we go in those jobs, and the impact that has on the BIPOC community.
0: Yeah, to bring it back to some of our our toolkit items for for the month, the book that we recommended, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibram X. Kendi, while it doesn't explicitly deal with the idea of PWIs. Um, he, I mean, he does talk about it a little bit. There is this underlying discussion about like assimilation and integration uh-huh. and talking about what that means in terms of, of life in these institutions. I think a point that he raises that's really interesting to me is he talks about integrationist Strategy: Every race being represented in every U.S. space, according to the percentage in the national percentage, uh-huh. is still mostly beneficial to white people. Yeah, white people would still see more white people than non-white people in these spaces, so they gain everything, and it's like a, a type of gentrification in a sense. And and I think. The way he illustrates the numbers is really illuminating. So I wanted to share that with you. Mm. So he said a black person would not see another black person until after seeing eight or so non black people. Mm. A Latinx person would not see another Latinx person until seeing seven or more non-Latinx people. An Asian person would not see another Asian person until seeing 19 non-Asian people. And a Native person would not see another Native person until seeing 99 (gasps) non-Native people. So that's, (laughs) that's the world, you know? So... When we're talking about predominantly white institutions, we're talking about most institutions and we're talking about the country as a whole. So Uh just wanted to put that out there as well.
1: It is. I'm so glad you did that because we put it underneath this professional because it is that very linked from academic. But even when we were debating this, I thought about a lot of the churches that I went to. I was one of the very few people of color because I didn't go to a predominantly black churches. Mm-hmm. Um, sports, things of that nature. Danny and I are both in the arts. And even though people might think the arts is a very liberal, inclusive area. I mean, I think we can both vouch that that's not our experience.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying yeah. Yeah. I think it falls under that same umbrella that we were talking a little bit about last time about HBUs. Mm-hmm. The most inclusive <laughs> art spaces are art spaces that are designed for a certain demographic in mind. Exactly.
1: So that that's what we're going forward. I think that's a really great way to kind of frame your mind around, I think, especially for our co-conspirators who are still kind of learning the language and going forward in that. It's just like, it's not just only numbers, it's just proven that once again, what I said in the last episode of your privilege in the majority Yeah. and the weight of that. Mm-hmm. So kind of bear that in mind going forward in the episode.
0: <laughs> yeah, I should have made note of who originated this tweet, but I think within this discussion it's important to think about just in in terms of framing of of that privilege and what it means. And I think it illustrated it very nicely by pointing out that like privilege isn't necessarily like bonus points for your team. Mm. But rather, it's additional barriers for people not on your team. Mm. Um, so it's in some ways it's harder to tell, right? Because like bonus points, you can see that that's like something tangible that like, oh yeah, we started the game with twenty points. That's not the way privilege works. Mm-hmm. It's you started the game, and then these people over there started with negative twenty points. Like it's it's different. Um. So mm. I think. That's another message I would like our our co-conspirators out there to really think about and wrap their minds around um while we're talking about all these things today. Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm just going to kind of throw out there like I feel like there's so many caveats. But once again, it is a very heavy topic. A little bit when we're talking about academics spilling into professional pwis is affirmative action now,. Mm. Danny and I could literally spend the entire month full-length episodes talking about this topic. It is something that is... Still really new for our country, <laughs> late 60s, early 70s. Um, It is a very divisive one. It is a hot topic, especially still in the academic realms. But what I am saying is that I think in the workplace, this has been looked at as, oh, gosh, just watched this really, um, really cool video the other day about people comparing it to the thumb on a scale and basing of equality and being able to give equal efforts to this. And I, I find the reason why I mention it for the workplace is that there is, I think, a stigma and misunderstanding. And as a person of color in the workplace, I mean, I mean, I don't know if you've had this experience. I have literally been called an affirmative action hire, like mm. to my, to my yeah, face. Yeah,
0: I mean, and I think that's the reality that a lot of people of color face is even if we weren't hired as an affirmative action hire, that is that is like a box that we are put into.
1: Exactly, by our colleagues and those around us. So I mostly wanted to mention it mostly for that emotional impact, but also because I believe so many people use that and throw that without a real definition. There was a short little PBS special about it. And they had a definition that was the closest that I could like jive with with just like a little bit of caveat of defining affirmative action is uh, it is in government or private program designed to redress historical injustice against specific groups making special efforts to provide members of these groups with access to educational and employment opportunities <laughs> my gripe was with the word special efforts and i'd like to use just mm. making efforts
0: like just <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm being dead serious no, but yeah you're right that why is that special yeah. that's like to me it's like people who say preferred pronouns i'm like you don't need preferred there. Yeah. just say pronouns yes.
1: just girl all day. Oh my gosh, don't get me off topic. <laughs> but I think that that was the when I was like it just kind of sent. I'm like no 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 no. Specific groups making efforts to provide because that word special is where I'm thinking we're getting that division, that tension. Mm. This is
0: yeah. yeah, that's and that's the issue mm-hmm. that a lot of people have with affirmative action. is like the special treatment. Um, yeah, Girl.
1: you're right. You're absolutely right. So that I believe is it. So like I said, once again, maybe we can throw this in the pot for us to dive deep because the history of it and its longstanding effects is something we can't ignore. And I would love to open up, but I had to mention it at least for that emotional impact and toil for BIPOC employees within that workspace before they walk into the door they are already having to prove their validity of being in their job in the position.
0: We don't have to go down this path, mm. but I do want to point out along those lines the place where us as mixed race people yes. um, occupy in that affirmative ah. action. You might come across companies that are doing these affirmative action hires, but their metrics are mm-hmm. all different. Um, and the way that they're deciding who is that that person who needs that extra boost yeah yeah right we don't we don't have to go <laughs> down that but i i thank you for bringing it up and i think you know it is a very complicated issue and it does definitely it's definitely reflected mm-hmm. in what we're talking about today.
1: It is. Yeah. Like I said, a massive rabbit hole. And if you want to know more about that, like I said, I would love to put more information, some really great books to to read and some really great stories. Uh, of course, i uh, go back in some of the cases that have been back and forth about uh, what the House and Senate and government and their view and what their take on it is. It's, it's something that's hugely spread, but you can see the impact it has had in these uh, professional areas. So
0: yeah, I think there's something in there for the future about uh, us talking a little bit more in depth about affirmative action and possibly pairing it a little bit with reparations Mm. and, and thinking about these different approaches to diversifying these predominantly white institutions. This is about
1: to hijack the whole show. But we can't, we can't do it. We can't. Oh my goodness! Oh, it's on the shelf. Okay, it's there. It's there. It's lingering. It's there. It's simmering. Yeah. It's preserved. We'll we'll make sure we did it right. It's sealed. It's sanitized. We'll tuck it later. So, <laughs> so why? Yes, yes. So what what is the impact of PWIs on BIPOC in the professional world?
0: There is a lot of impact and a lot of it is is related to <laughs> to many things we've talked about in the past when it comes down to dealing with these race issues um as people who are not part of the majority I think there is currently a lot of buzz around diversity and inclusion and I know many institutions are not only centering those Some air quotes around discussions here. We we could hear
1: the air quotes, girl.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But there's been a lot of centering of that in authentic and in in inauthentic ways. But I think when there is a BIPOC person within a PWI and there's talk about diversity and inclusion, who is everyone turning to Mm. to solve? that issue
1: mm. Mm. and I, I'm jumping ahead in my own notes but I have this is like <laughs> I, I have to We're right here can I just say that yeah. diversity inclusion does not talk about race like those are not the same like you can I think yeah. we love the buzzwords because it's that beautiful quote that Danny brought up from the book is that I think people would be like I want diversity like a uh, diversity I want inclusion Oh, but if we start talking about race, that's a whole other can of worms.
0: Well, and I think diversity and inclusion are also these like very band aid based level terms. And what you're talking about is you want to look around the room and see more diverse faces. You aren't talking about diversity of approach and experience and culture within the makeup of the way that things are run within an institution. Mm. So I think that is a huge difference. And I think when we're talking about PWIs, there can be PWIs that really embrace that in an authentic way. But I I can almost guarantee that the way that those organizations are structured and run is very different. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. Because they have to make some sacrifice that yeah. that that that's point blank of just you have to make that sacrifice you can't go from you know these these fortune 500 companies that might have you know very few percent of what was it i think there's uh managers uh just eight percent of managers eight oh, percent of managers and th- uh 3.8 of cpos are black in the fortune 500 and three yeah. black chief executives down down from a high of 12 in
0: 2002 and these are numbers from 2019 Right and to go back to our the article that we were talking about last week and it talked about you can't just put mm-hmm. like a black CEO and then say look at exactly. us we're diverse look at us we've got this all figured out like it's not one person who can change the culture of an entire organization exactly. it's it's kind of like my issue that I took of course obviously not a fan of Donald Trump but by saying like oh, the racism in the country is all because of Donald Trump is such a fallacy, right? It's not one person. Mm -hmm.
1: Exactly. And that's getting down to those of how we uh, address and how we, like they're talking about in the definition, redress these issues of you have to acknowledge that the success of your company has been done on the backs through a structure of white supremacy.
0: Yes. Yes, which I think is a really nice segue into talking a little bit about these aspects of white supremacy. Oh. So one of our actions for the month was to like look at this list and to kind of evaluate your own experience, your own institutions that you've worked with through the characteristics of white supremacy culture, which is from Dismantling Racism: A Workbook for Social Change Groups. And so I found this list honestly like felt a little slapped by this list <laughs> <Did you? laughs> i mean you know like i think we we all like you don't have to be white to have mm. embodied some of these these characteristics mm-hmm. so the first one was is perfectionism mm-hmm. right um and i think I myself am very, very guilty of falling into this this trap of perfectionism. It's a tendency to also identify what's wrong rather than appreciate what's right. And if you've listened to this show, you know that I do this
1: <laughs> all the time. Um, but it goes back to defending your spot, yeah, of who you are. Yeah. And I think that also goes back to once again that that toil of. As one of the very few, if not the only person of any color in a workplace, you are also representing any person who ever has any kind of pigmentation that comes after you. Exactly, You, you are that, that, exactly. That, that door. You're supposed to be that person and you put that weight on it. Now, is that justified of you doing that to yourself? No, but you cannot help but do that. That is, at least for me, yeah. that's automatic.
0: Well, especially if you're the first, yeah. right? <gasps> like The first always has the hardest job because it's like no longer becomes about the job it's like you have to also be representative of all these other things oh, yeah. and everything you do reflects on that and you have to be like an ambassador for for your ethnicity or your yeah. race mm-hmm. um so i think yeah you're right white supremacist ideals are at the root of of feeling that sense of of needing perfectionism there what was next yeah then The next thing is a sense of urgency. And this is just like corporate culture, I Mm. think. You know, things have to happen quickly. And we see this a lot with diversity and inclusion specifically, but Mm. like it's too difficult to make time to be inclusive or to have this thoughtful discussion making or to consider long term consequences. Like we just got to get stuff done. Mm. Like we exist to make things happen instead of (laughs) taking that introspection space to really figure things out or the
1: the things if they do do it it's quick do you remember when starbucks had that whole issue where their employees had asked some people to leave so they closed their store down for like a day which like oh which cost them so much money and they had some training and moved on and starbucks i and this is maybe in like bless them they have had several attempts to have diversity and inclusion be part of it, but they have, keep doing these examples of once again, of just band-aids, just by adding people. If we just put it on the forefront, if we add some cool, cute quotes to our cup, if we do that, but it's once again, it's it's the knee-jerk reaction and not the internal reflection.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think to that point, that's all focused on these highly visible mm-hmm. results, right? Rather than actually dismantling a system really centering communities of color Mm. in the end it becomes about a victory for the white people who seem like they're doing all the right things Mm.
1: Mm. i've got like church hands over here i'm just like
0: (laughs) oh oh." (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, the next one i think is one that is very familiar defensiveness and i think this is something that I have seen a lot in PWIs when they are called out about racist behavior. Yes. Oh,
1: yeah. Th- actually, this actually took me back to what we talked about with a uh, sisterhood between BIPOC and white women and white women tears. Mm-hmm. If I told you in the workplace, like this is where that defensiveness just kind of shows up once again of someone brings up and calls out racism, someone cries, or someone feels hurt and defense <laughs> like they feel offended. And it shuts down mm-hmm. the whole conversation about race. And it becomes about the person who's crying, the person who feels offended, it goes into fixing that. And it's people of color who are disproportionately either written up, uh, suspended, at home, fired, uh, docked Pay had to go to Sensitivity training, like the list goes on and on and on. And it's rooted in the defensiveness of how dare you question. How dare you question.
0: It becomes then about the energy, like the mass amounts of energy that are spent around trying to make sure people's feelings aren't hurt, trying to work around these highly defensive people, um, and then... If it's defensiveness in a person in a position of power, then it just creates an overall oppressive culture because it's like, no, I know every time I go to this boss, I'm going to get this defensive shield thrown back at me. So there's no point in even bringing these things up. Right. Mm-hmm. So it, it really creates this circular issue that is is not going to go away and that is incredibly hard to dismantle. But uh, on the other hand, like when we are considering structures, a structure in and of itself cannot facilitate or prevent abuse, Mm. right? Like (laughs) it can't be the structure. Um, (laughs) It's it's, it's the people within that structure. Mm, So we need to look at people as people and look at how we can as people work on defensiveness, Mm -hmm. like one person at a time. So I think that becomes then a question of culture, figuring out defensiveness and resistance to new ideas, defensiveness and resistance to like being called a racist, and really figuring out a way to allow people to change rather than focusing on changing the system. Because The system's created by people. Mm -hmm. Well, Um,
1: well, even uh, when we talked about even people who are white people really falling into this list and feeling uh, the effects of this. Think about where we talked about in that that same article about uh, white women's tears is that people... Are in a capitalist society have learned to say, "Oh, this business is a family. We're all together. We're all one." So they attach themselves very personally to the company, right? And yes. which will result in lack of boundaries. Um, you know what I mean. Like they will ask a lot of you with very little return. So even people who are white, who see themselves and buy into that capitalist form built upon white supremacy of we're all one, when someone calls out racism, it does feel like that personal attack, which then ensues in defense. Mm. Like, and so it's one of those things of like, well, you are also the victim of the, the system of white supremacy. And as a person, you have to say, where am I If I'm hearing a colleague calling out racism, or even even to myself, if I'm doing racist things, I'm like, how much of that is I'm defending the company, I'm defending what's going on. I'm, you know, I am part of that, that cog and separating themselves from the work. And so it's almost like double the work, you have to figure out what am I doing within a work environment and defending the work environment that is racist. And what am I doing with my own biases as well, that are also like, they are, they are too, it it is, you got to do both
0: yeah you're absolutely right. Um, and I think that that is a huge part of of this. Um, we need to look at ourselves individually. We need to look at the system. We need to work on both things simultaneously. Mm-hmm. You're not going to fix yourself by fixing the system. You're not going to fix the system mm. by f- fixing yourself. Yes. so next on our list. A quantity over quality. So this is the idea that all the resources are directed towards producing measurable goals. Things that can be measured are valued more highly. Things that cannot be measured don't have real value assigned to them. And so that's once again, going back like relationships are, are are hard to measure being like truly inclusive or truly diverse like that's hard to measure like i can tell you how many people of color are employed but like you can't it's much harder to talk about like you know the values of an organization in that way or to have like democratic decision making mm. or ability to deal with conflict or all these things that are not that are not measurable. Mm, that is so
1: good because I mean that's what we're talking about. People want that quick payout so they can put where percentage and where this percentage diverse or women or BIPOC. LGBTQI+ like we, we have these these numbers behind us as opposed to do people feel safe? Can people progress? Do people feel like they can like what is your system in order to bring up complaints or issues? you know you can't put that on a piece of paper. you can't put that in far in, in, in your Forbes report, can you.
0: Yeah, which leads into the next the next value, uh-huh. which is worship of the written word, <laughs> um, which I, I found like an interesting thing and something that I hadn't really considered.
1: Yeah,
0: But a lot of companies, you know, the, the focus is like everything has to be a memo, like everything needs to be. It taken into account and written in some way f- to be like viable information and how that is a white supremacist attitude because those with stronger writing skills and documentation skills are more highly valued um, regardless of what their actual position is. And as we've talked about before, the education system is set up in a way to like lift up and allow like white people <laughs> to really excel in those ways. And I say this is a very articulate brown girl. Mm-hmm. I think it goes back to like, what are what are the traits that are important for an organization to succeed? And what are the traits that are important in a position? And is is the written word one of those traits? Mm,
1: I was really challenged by this as well, because I'm even thinking of they're talking about memos and emails, which ugh, I think we can all cringe at that. But even thinking of, uh, you know, having issues with employees of just being like the environment is toxic. Your tone towards me. I don't feel included. I feel like I'm not giving accounts that are worthwhile. I'm not giving the same opportunities. But where? Where is that written? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Does someone say that? Yeah, yeah. Did they write that to you? And so even that is a very, because I had to do a little bit of work. I'm like, wow, that sounds like a business problem, not necessarily based upon white supremacy, but it's a power thing. Yeah. Like, once again, you have to prove there is an issue here. And so I thought I I had to do like that little bit of like, huh, of really reflecting of what it was really saying. But once I got it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The next one is only one right way. So as in there's the belief that there's only one right way to do things. And once people are introduced to that belief, they will see the light and adopt it. That's assimilation, isn't Mm -hmm. it?
1: I mean, and that leads to that imposter syndrome, isn't it? That that, that mm-hmm. we've talked about before, it could be only one right way to to do meetings, whether or dress in a work environment. Um, yes,
0: or wear your hair. Or you know, wear your
1: hair in a work environment, that they have this persona that they want to put forth. And if it does not match that, whether in their topic, their their product, or even the presentation of the person, then you are out of line.
0: Yeah, yeah. If we're going back to those buzzwords, diversity and inclusion, like, how can it be either of those things if there's only one right way to do things?
1: Mm -hmm. I I agree. And once again, that's extra baggage of monitoring. How am I speaking? What am I saying? How do I look? And once again, this is all before you even show up to work. Yes.
0: The next one is paternalism. Mm. Hierarchy. And when decision making is clear to those with power and unclear to those without power, those in charge, those at the top of the pyramid, might not think that it's important or necessary for everyone else to understand how decisions are being made, who is making the decisions, why they're making the decisions, and thus they can't truly understand the impact. Of the decisions,
1: uh-huh. I, I agree. It's a, it's a trap. It, it basically is that trap of how can people get promotions? What we talked about before, mentorship, being able to have those opportunities to really shine at a job if they don't know how that works, and or even if they did know, it is a very you know, it is a club. It's an adult version of a clique. You know, yeah. it's a professional job version of a clique, and they are detrimental.
0: Yeah. One of the worst things, and I I would extend this to say like this can exist outside of the organization as well. Like if like if people who are being impacted by programming or interacting with the organization don't understand how decisions are being made, I think this happens a lot to people who are in position within an organization where they're the face for, like, a public a public program, but they don't actually have the decision-making power. Mm. Um, and so then it becomes, like, this complicated issue in which the person who is perceived as being in charge isn't really, and they don't have the power to implement real change, even if they are the ones dealing directly with the people who feel the impact of these decisions.
1: Exactly. But they sure will be on the chopping block if something goes wrong, though. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Because they're expendable.
0: Yes. Either or thinking. So things are either or. They're good or bad. They're right or wrong. Yeah. So this is very, very linked with perfectionism, Mm -hmm. right? Like, it's it lacks the nuance of really understanding how things can be both right like in actuality in the real world in which we live most things uh, can be good and bad mm-hmm. like like at the same time and i think this this type of thinking in particular leads to a lot of conflict mm. It leads to a lot of the issues we were talking about before. It increases urgency. There doesn't feel like there's time to make a decision because if things are black and white that way, either or, obviously, you know which one you have to do. So I think when we're talking about complex issues, this is a really dangerous road.
1: I agree. Even just from a creative aspect, like... Business, even if we hypothetically took a race out of it, that just seems like really poor business practice, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Just like that is just stifling across the board for any kind of progression outside of the board thinking like it feels like it just drops your business dead right where it stands.
0: Yeah, I agree. Power hoarding. If that's not white supremacy (laughs) in this nation.
1: Ugh. Ugh.
0: Yeah. I feel like we don't even really need no. to talk about that. That's <laughs> self-explanatory. Show is uh, fear of open conflict. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that goes underneath
1: like that defensiveness, right? Of just like I
0: think so too. Mm-hmm. And within that is like this this pressure to be polite, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: individualism. You know, I I think individualism on many platforms is incredibly dangerous. Hmm. Like, and, and once again, I don't want to make it like a either or, you know, it's either all one big family or we're all out for themselves. But this is, and it all depends on who the individual is, because when a company is based upon an individual and their ideas and their reputation, that's, ex- that's terrifying, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's got dictator vibes. I don't know. And everyone looking out for each other also in that space of if you're not realizing like how many of us spend a good chunk of our lives at work or in a work environment. Mm -hmm. And if we're not looking outside of like our peers of what's going on to that, like that is going to affect the overall product and the work environment.
0: Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and if we're talking about a company or a team, like you're working in a group, Mm -hmm. so it shouldn't be about the individual, like, right? It should be about about the group, um, and yes, individuals can bring different things to that group. But that's also a very non-American mentality. Mm. American values are white supremacist values. It's the
1: hustle. It's the grind. Yeah,
0: progress is bigger or more. Mm. We see that. You see that with with small business all the time, right? Like it's like. Oh, they've grown this much. They've hired this many more employees. They're able to do like this many more programs that is seen as a, an accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But
1: but that's the thing. We haven't created a scale of how to look at a company's growth outside of outside of numerically talking about a company's growth.
0: Hmm. Yeah. What I do love about this list is it talks about seventh generation thinking. Mm -hmm. So thinking about the actions of a group and how they will affect people seven generations from now. Mm. right? And so I think when you look at things with that sense of longevity, um, all of a sudden, like, bigger doesn't feel as important. Objectivity... Just the idea, the belief that there, there is a way to be objective mm-hmm. about things, and the idea that emotions are destructive and irrational and should not be part of decision making, invalidating the show of emotion, mm-hmm. requiring people to think very linearly and in patience with people who don't follow that line of thinking. Mm-hmm. And I think this is. This is something perhaps I struggle a little bit more with um, than a lot of things on the list because I think I've fought so hard throughout my life to like stifle emotion. Um, so it's easy to see like emotions as weakness. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that I have, I have really been working towards over the last several years is like figuring out the importance of emotion in logical decision making. Mm -hmm. Like there's a reason why you feel the way that you do. And so that should be important in the decision making process.
1: Once again, t- to ask an employee who spends a good chunk of their day, life hours in a work environment, and not have any feelings—yeah—that's <laughs> a lot. Even and that's the thing too, because you can even have excitement and passion and drive; those are all feelings-based. So, and I think even that we are thinking about irrational, just like calling something out or being frustrated, or being angry. But there's also feelings on the other spectrum that you're negating. So either you want none of those and you just want blobs of oatmeal going through the day and not feeling anything, or you only want the positive ones, but that's not the whole person.
0: Toxic positivity. Mm -hmm.
1: Like that, that on that scale is not great either. And I think what you and I, and maybe I don't want to pick on just our generation, but I it was, you know, when we're talking about applying for jobs and working the job in place, feelings were not professional. Those words were not like yeah. synonymous. We were just looking at if you have a grievance, there's a way to go about it. Once again, in the words, you know, write a, a very mm-hmm. a lovely email and making sure it's not offensive, making sure you don't, you know, start arguments like this word right here has a lot of the other things on their list that falls right underneath it. And it's, you know, the good or bad, like, what have I done? What things do I fall into that category? But yeah, I, I think a lot of people are exactly where you're at, though, Danny, like, of especially in a professional environment, like, where do my feelings fit professionally?
0: As fully complex, complete human beings, we have feelings, and I think our worldview is impacted by our feelings, by our experiences, by by a whole plethora of things. Um, And I think when you latch on to this idea of objectivity, you are... In essence, believing there is only one worldview and it is your own instead of understanding that everyone and literally everyone has a different worldview. And so in a truly inclusive work environment, it becomes your job as an individual to recognize that everyone's point of view is valid. And it's your job to understand what their point of view is rather than forcing them to explain it to you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. And then the last one, the right to comfort. So that is mm. the belief that those in power have a right to emotional and psychological comfort. So this is this goes back to the example you just provided, Darika, like being very concerned about not being offensive in your language. And I think we've talked about this a lot. It's like the whole premise of our show, right? discomfort is the root of all growth and learning yes. so let's get uncomfortable uh-huh. <laughs> like we can't maintain comfort and what kind of professional work environment is it where you're constantly trying to maintain comfort like that is not going to be something that'll that'll grow and change over time yeah
1: and that's the part of workplace, professional, oh, PWIs as a whole. I'm going to actually make a blanket statement. There we go. Is that BIPOC people are expected to walk on eggshells. To Mm. live in this place of tension, internal dialogue of doubt, worry, concern, have this whole laundry list of things to go on to, but when they speak this truth, these things going on, and there's this hint of making other people uncomfortable. That is not okay, but it was okay for this one person, the person of color, to live in that existence. It's shining the light on, it's like taking those rose-colored glasses off, that this is not the reality for you all, even if you don't experience that. And these companies are being challenged that perhaps they need to make some actual real change. And the thing is, once again, it's that... Verbal dance versus the actual action stance is that they can once again tick that box and say yes, we are for inclusion, we are all for diversity because that's the easy, comfortable thing to do. Right. But the hard thing to do is actually have an open conversation about race.
0: Yeah, and what you're talking about is the goal of having a truly multicultural, multi-ethnic, multiracial organization, and that is only possible. If the organization itself looks at the behaviors around inclusion and bucks against those assimilistic tendencies to just want people from different backgrounds to come in and adapt or conform to the culture norms of the organization. You
1: know, there's this this great uh, article of Har- uh, Harvard Business Reviews. It's written by Laura Morgan Roberts and uh, Anthony J. Mayo. And they have, I mean, it's a really good one. And they talk about a lot of the issues. Some of the stats I've got from this episode are in here as well. But what they're talking about, so with all these things being true in the list that we just read from our toolkit, that it's kind of like, so then what? And they're talking about businesses having to switch from this bottom line and this performative social justice stance to switching it to a moral stance, which is why it's so difficult. Because moral does not equate to the bottom line. Moral will be, in their verse, a distraction to the workplace. Moral will actually have to have to take some days from, you know, product going forward, you know, that that moral is supposed to outlast you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's what you're talking about that seven generation thinking. That's what morality is and you're going to have to have that conversation about it and open that up and looking at people as individuals because that's what makes a company to begin with. And that Reading that was just like, to me, I'm not gonna lie. I had these feelings of kind of like, if that's what it is, that, that's the solution. I feel actually quite hopeless because to ask multi million, sometimes billion dollar companies to say, but what about the moral stance of your people? <laughs> like looking at them and just being like, what is more millions and billions of dollars to you if you are not setting up for the generations to actually help with closing in the, you know, the financial racial gap? You know, helping disparage like and giving putting wealth back into the pockets of BIPOC people, the people that you have built, you know, you use their backs to build your business to begin with. Like, what does that look like to been like to look up to them and be like, but
0: morally, you know? Yeah. We're constantly on the precipice of that whole system imploding on itself <laughs> because of those reasons. Mm-hmm. But I know. That is both like a pessimistic and optimistic view of the world. (laughs) I know, right? Like simultaneously. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it, it does go back to the realistic view of it is once again, both. Like you have to be working on your internal individual change. You have to be working on the system. And changing that, but recognizing that one isn't going to necessarily lead to the other. And quite honestly, like sometimes it just feels like burn the shit to the ground and start over (laughs) again.
1: Like a a, a Etch-a-Sketch board where you just shake it really really hard. Just like, let's just do it. Start from the top. Five, six, seven, eight. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. it, It feels too far gone. It's too ingrained. It's too profitable. It's too profitable.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And so then that goes back to speaking with your dollar. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like us as consumers or us as like people who choose to go to college or choose to do this or choose to do that, like making those informed decisions about where our money goes Mm. is also really important. Is it going to change the world? Probably not. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I don't think it hurts the world. <laughs> so mm. I think when possible, when you have the privilege of doing so, figuring out how to talk with that money.
1: Because mm, that's what it is, girl. Money does talk. And you have to let that lead. But, uh, so that's what consumers can do when talking yes. about PWIs. What do you think BIPOC people can do in these PWI professional environments?
0: And this has been a realization I've had over the years, mm, which is it. feels a little defeatist, but maybe, maybe it's not. But I think the most important thing BIPOC people can do is survive. <laughs> like, I think, I think, yes, yeah. let's keep an eye to changing things, but I think you can't change anything unless you're surviving. Mm-hmm. So, step one is survival. <laughs>
1: yeah 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 i can't i i can't i can't even argue that you're you're completely right and what does that look like which is some of the things we mentioned in our first one of like having community having self-care who who are you outside of this job you're worth in that that's real (laughs) yeah that's super real and it's uh, I don't know. I like I said, of this topic, there are some topics we do where I'm like, I'm very hopeful, like you said, on the precipice of change. And there's some other ones where I'm like, it's such a cog. And this is why we separated academic and professional ones. Because in an academic setting, you could you you could change schools. There's lots of schools. There's always someone higher up within the school educational realm. You, you, you yeah. can do that. The, the minds are a little bit set in education, but professional ones, you got bills.
0: Yeah, that's hard. <laughs> it is hard. It's always the issue in a capitalist society. Yeah. (sighs) I think it's. It's easy to be like, you know, research the organization you're working for, only choose a great organization <laughs> or like choose an organization where you can really have an impact and change things like that isn't realistic. No, it's a privilege. For most people. Like
1: if you can. It's a
0: privilege. Like, if, if you can. If you can.
1: You should do it because I put it on there I'm like if you can. But that is a huge privilege to be able to have a job that actually even has a revenue and a place that you can. Not everyone has a particular. I think about like my, my husband's in the Air Force and it's like ninety nine point nine percent of pilots are white males. Oh and if God. you actually go to become a pilot of a BIPOC person, only go where you can thrive and fly. Like where are you gonna go? <laughs> <laughs> like where
0: what are you gonna do?
1: <laughs> like you can research yeah, all day right? and you're not gonna
0: happen. <laughs> We're in an interesting generation too that has changed a lot of the ways that we have to think about employment and how we show up in the world not because we wanted to Mm. but because the capitalist system has like just completely reared its ugly head and we're starting to really feel the impacts of it so I think many times it's like well that's a full-time job with benefits like I got it I gotta take it
1: yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. And and that's real. And so I think even within that, like reading that list and talking about, so what would I tell a friend who's in a toxic work environment and they're like, but I have to keep this job. It's like, once again, what Danny said, just survive. I think another thing too, is like when you realize you're worth in a job and I think also realize a job is a job. So I think a lot of people are realizing it's hard.
0: Yeah, it's hard.
1: That is like going to be the hardest thing, but just been like, if they ask you to work late it's being like, no, if they're like, if they're asking you to do something that's without that, your job description, it's like, no. And it sounds like, I don't think I could do that. So this is not talking from someone who's very good at that. I'm horrible. I'm rubbish at this, but that's what they're saying. A lot of people have combating toxic, demanding, demanding, You know, now we're saying capitalistic white supremacist built work environments is like creating those boundaries of what you would do with anybody who is just toxic and realizing what is this job actually was supposed to entail? And what was I hired for? If they're going to say by that list that the written word is key, this was the description of the job that I was hired for. And if the written word is supposed to be high above all things, then bam, by the written word, you're asking me to do something outside of that. Yeah. You know what I mean, and so it's just like, no, we're in here. Am I supposed to answer emails after six o'clock on a Friday, or something of that nature? You know what I mean. So I don't think it's the easiest thing to do, but I think going forward with more people demanding that it's like define what the job is because the job is a job.
0: I love that. I think, and it's it's a personal struggle, <laughs> definitely. But you know, we are more than. Cogs in a machine. Like we can't just be our jobs. Even if you love your job, like we're complete and complex humans, and let's let's be that. We don't have to be on for our job all the time. Mm -hmm.
1: Which I think has only been more exacerbated by COVID. I agree. That more and more people are trying to figure out, like actually pulling apart and separating themselves from their job. And I think that's that. It's practice. It's practice just like self-care. It's practice, you know what I mean? Like downplaying negative talk, it is a muscle that has to be worked, you know?
0: Yeah. We don't know how to dismantle the system. We... <laughs> I hope they didn't listen
1: to figure out how to do it. This... Yeah, but I mean, I,
0: I do think it's worth visiting that list that we discussed. They do offer a lot of suggestions for combating each individual item on that list. And I think, you know, in order for there to build change, we have to dream and imagine what that change can be. Mm in order to take steps towards it. So that's an important thing that we haven't we haven't discussed too much, but I think <laughs> is worth throwing out there is like visioning and then working back and being able to name what are the components and the things that make that vision, that mm. can make that vision real.
1: I do like that. The what if kind of life of like, what if I had a workplace that saw me in my totality?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know... Some people have vision boards or chalkboards or whatever. And if that helps you write that down, Yeah, I'm not buying into the white supremacist notion of the written word is everything, but I'm not ah! judging you if you are. Look, look
1: how she already <laughs> used that. Look how she already <laughs> weaponized that already. You guys, I just love her. It's <laughs> just, she didn't even blink. I'm just letting, I can see her.
0: Girl even blink. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just
1: kidding. But I really do like, that you know we never the truth is to at least for me i look at this issue and i'm like it seems so big and it seems so much bigger but i liked at least starting with the questioning the idea and what would that look like and starting once again like with yourself of what that looks like for our co-conspirators it's doing that work and like you said, doing that in tandem work of introspection and also looking at your PWI that you inhabit for our unicorns, looking at even like our own privileges within that and and uh, what that means for us. And also our struggle and having community going forward, but also daring to ask what if, mm. and that, that in itself takes a lot of courage. And I hope we've created a space and had an episode where at the end of it, you don't leave there being like, well, what am I going to do? But leaving there saying, what What if? And I I actually find that really encouraging.
0: Um shall we shall we switch gears? Move Um, towards wrapping this up. No Mike, I think we probably should Place.
1: So, I was going to say trail mix, because who doesn't? <laughs> Girl, you know I Girl, love... Girl, I have strong feelings about trail mix. <gasps> Do you? Because you know I will make time to talk about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine, like, you have to make your own. Like... A Starbucks trail mix is not going your... to hit. Fi- it's yeah. hard
0: to find a good one, right? That's mm-hmm. like going to hit check all your boxes. Yeah. And
1: you need all those boxes checked if you're going to have a snack like that. So I don't, I don't know. I don't, cause I don't like
0: peanuts. So that is. Real... Yeah. Me neither. Oh my goodness. We're meant to be. <laughs> I mean, I I like peanut butter. I yeah. like a peanut M&M, but yeah. I don't want, I don't want like bits of peanuts in my trail mix. Yeah. It's like the cheap filler nut.
1: Yeah. I Give know, me exactly.
0: those cashews.
1: Yeah. Give me those cashews. Girl, give me them sweet (laughs) buttery cashews all day. I'm going to need a yogurt chip with a cashew with a dried cranberry or
0: blueberry bite. I'm going to need you that. Got that. I'm, I'm into that. I'm yeah. into that. Get your raisins and <laughs> your peanuts out of my trail mix. I know.
1: It, you know what? I wouldn't mind the raisins if they were not orphaned raisins. Like, where are they buying They're these? They're the reject raisins. Exactly. They're the raisins not good enough to be put in a raisin box. Exactly. They're just like, <laughs> you can't be in our red box. Get out of here. You'll never be a California raisin. You're a trail mix raisin. Go yeah. with your people. I don't know how you dehydrate a dehydrated grape. I don't know. They've... Science. Science. Anyway, I was going to say Terrell Mix. But... Then... <laughs> <laughs> But then I looked at the calendar and realized by the time this comes out my anniversary would have passed. So, <gasps> yeah, my anniversary is on the on Friday of when we're recording this. So the Friday before this episode comes yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. The day after tax day. <laughs> so yeah, I've been married eleven years with my husband.
0: Congratulations. What is the eleven year anniversary gift? Because I know you know, girl. It's iron. Tell me.
1: <laughs> it's iron. I don't know because there's a new list too, but it's iron. And you want to know how I, the only reason why I know, my mom sent me an iron rose. What? She's, I love Where my Where does she even find that? I, My mom's amazing. She finds like, but she did get us these cute little spoons that say like, I want to, I would love to have coffee with you forever because we both love coffee. So we have mm. a little spoon. She is like the knickknack, whack, give a dog a bone queen. She, my mom can find such unique little knickknack things that are just like that just that just there she that's her thing and she's so good at it and i'm not i'm not good at that and it was just like i got this box and it was quite heavy it's an iron rose nice so
0: in my mind it's just like iron ore from stardew (laughs) valley which doesn't even look like iron like iron isn't that color but that's what comes to mind (laughs) exactly
1: but iridium from stardew is what i will always think iridium looks like and if it's not
0: purple then i don't want it yeah Exactly. I agree. I agree.
1: (laughs) So what what is your what is your happy place?
0: Okay, here we go. Mm Uh TV show. I've watched this TV show called Life Beyond Death, Life After (gasps) Death. Have you seen this on Netflix? No, 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 no. no. Go watch it. So this was recommended to me by a friend, and it is all your unsolved mystery, paranormal (sighs) vibes to tide you over until we have more unsolved mysteries. Uh, so I highly recommend checking it out. It's like communicating with the dead, like uh, a deep dive into psychics, uh, past lives. It's brilliant. I love it.
1: I'm like already full. Just by the description. I'm, I'm excited. Especially like if you, if you suggest a show, like you really mean it. Cause you're not a TV person. Yeah.
0: I mean, I, it's, you know, it's not like a life changing show. It's not a show that I'm gonna go back and rewatch. But I'm like, when you have the need for some unsolved mysteries and I you know. don't have any new <sighs> ones, I recommend this show. That's it. So also crazy. creepy kids who remember past lives, oh! I'm here for it.
1: All day. All day. All right. Yeah. I'm I'm already like trying to figure out in my calendar when I can dedicate a good amount of time to do. I'm like when when can I sit down and do a little mini yeah. bench. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear all your thoughts and feelings about this month's toolkit Mm -hmm. and today's episode. You can let us know via email, biracialunicorns at gmail.com. You can also find us on social media. We're on Instagram and Facebook at biracialunicorns, and we're on Twitter at biracialmagic. D'Amika, are we going to start a TikTok channel? Should we be doing that? You know, girl, you know, I've been doing
1: my research About TikTok, of like, what does that look like in the podcast? Research
0: or research about TikTok is just consuming all TikToks.
1: (laughs) I am actually so proud of myself (laughs) of just the discipline that I have because it can be a deep dark hole. I'm just letting you yeah. know that it I feel be. like
0: that's all social media, but I, I want to throw it back to listeners yes. and and find out where you would like to see more of us. Um, we're pretty heavily on on Instagram, but we're open to exploring different things. I know there's a lot of of uh, podcasts that utilize YouTube. There's podcasts that utilize TikTok. Mm -hmm. There's podcasts over there on Clubhouse. Like, let us know. How would you like to connect with us? Oh, that's a really,
1: really good one. Yeah. Maybe we can even do like a story and ask. We'll do that. We'll do that. We, but people you can also follow on the Instagram, we want to give a huge shout out to Pop Art, who's made our very iconic unicorn. Please go check out her stuff. Please go buy her stuff. Please comment on her stuff, because it is legit. We also want to give a huge shout out to Joseph Scott, who's done our amazing intro and outro music. We want to give a big hip-hip-hooray to Smith Photography, who's done some of the very few photos of us we've been together. So please go check out their stuff. Follow them. Uh, Actually, if you're in, like, Oklahoma area, you can actually go and get some photogra- uh, photos done by SoSmith Photography. And you can also just, like, fly her out. She's worth it, y'all. Uh- <laughs> also yes. if you want to support us the best way you can do that is uh rate us on whatever platform you're listening to us on and write us like a review even if it's
0: just like hey girl hey like we would
1: that really shout us. out
0: i saw we got a new review that was like a lot of emoji and i was i was there for it <gasps> was it yes just like
1: maybe like even talk about your favorite episode in emojis
0: just oh I love
1: it. Isn't it really cute? Yeah, just just shout that out to us. We would so appreciate it. That helps us more. If you feel like financially supporting us, um, we don't obviously make money doing this, but you can buy us a cup of coffee and we can put it towards holding all of our podcasts into a space in the imaginary cloud. Um it's we would yeah. really, really appreciate that. But of course, you know all the ways to get a hold of us, LinkedIn our Bio stuff.
0: Yes. All right. We will be back next week. With a mini sode, and we are inching towards our <laughs> our next <laughs> month. So get ready for a new toolkit to drop on May first. So
1: this this one's good. I'm ready. Yeah,
0: I've been waiting for it. You're
1: gonna like it. Yeah.
0: If you're on the internet, you're gonna like this. Oh, oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, tease, 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 tease. <laughs> All right, y'all. Take care. We love you very much. Mm-hmm. Peace out.